Hello everyone and welcome back to Digging Through Dominoes where we examine the dominoes in our past so we can change the game of our future. Welcome to Digging Through Dominoes, a podcast that looks at mental, physical, and emotional trauma through real and inspiring conversations. This is your safe haven that welcomes you in but also isn't afraid to talk about what hurts the most. And now, here's your host, Terry Anderson. Today's episode's going to be shorter than the others because I'm not doing so great. I've got some things, shingles, internal shingles, what the heck? Whoever thought about something like that? I'm not feeling so good. Plus... Therapy last week. I have therapy every Friday. Every Friday for years. And I love my therapist. Um, I think a lot of people shy away from therapy because they cannot find a, sh- a therapist that they can connect to. And that happened to me. It took me years to find the right therapist and the right psychiatrist. And I you know, I've got a team, you know, the three of us, we really work at this hard. We work at keeping me healthy and above, above the surface of the water. When there are a lot of times that I wanted to be nothing but below the surface of the water. Well, this week in therapy, we talked about some things that brought some things up emotionally for me that really, um, are affecting me. And, you know, I want to be really blatant, really transparent, really clear with everyone. I am still very affected by the things that happened to me when I was a kid. And I'm going to tell you about some of that. But it, with the forewarning that this is going to be a shorter episode this week for that very reason, I'm trying to still work through these things. And on the surface, they may not seem that crucial. But to me, what it did, it brought back those feelings I had in full force. We were talking about the death of the one person in my life I knew loved me beyond measure. That was my grandmother. I mean, I want you to picture this, okay? Here I am, this this little kid. I was probably four or five years old. My grandmother had a farm that she rented out. She was very cosmopolitan, very chic and, you know, way cool. She was born on the farm. She hated it. She was always embarrassed that she was had been born on a farm and she didn't have shoes and she didn't have a horse to ride to school, that she had to ride to school on a mule. So she really pushed and pushed and she got herself out of that town, but she kept that farm. And we were at the farm one time, I don't know, doing farm business or whatever. She took me with her a lot. And there was, I don't remember what it was called. It was sort of like a reservoir. It was like, you know, in the Beverly Hillbillies, they call the swimming pool, the concrete pond. Well, this to the best of my recollection, it was a, a concrete pond 
but it was above ground. I don't know. I don't know how big it was. It had some fish in it. And there was one particular fish I wanted. And I'm watching this woman dressed to the nines, take her shoes off, roll her pants up, climb into that reservoir, whatever it was, to catch the only fish I wanted. I didn't want any of the other fish. I wanted that one blue fish. And I'm watching her with a jar walk around trying to catch that damn fish. If that doesn't say I love you and I want you to know I love you, I don't know what does. But she did it. My parents never would have done that. Never, never, never. But we were talking about her and the things that she had done that really made me feel wanted, accepted, and cherished. And then what her death did to me. Being the age I was, I was almost 16 years old. I had had... I was blessed. I had a much longer time with my grandmother than my my cousins did. And I was also the first grandchild. I was a girl, first grandchild, and therefore I held the crown in the grandchild arena, according to my grandmother. And I have to say that my aunt's, I think they gave me a little bit of grace in that. I think with me, I would have a little bit of trouble with my with my mother indulging one grandchild over another. But I think they may have had a little grace with me because they did see what I went through with my parents. Being, you know, almost 16, there are some things that they told me. There were a lot of things that they didn't tell me. We did some wonderful, wonderful things before she died. And when she died, it was the strangest thing. I was I was in bed. I was asleep. And my mother came into my room and woke me up. And she said, Terry, Dina just died. I said, I know. And my mother just collapsed crying on me which was for me very uncomfortable and very unusual because my mother, my parents did not touch me. They did not hug me. And I can remember looking back at Christmas photos with my mother and her sisters and their families. And we'd always get a picture every, every Christmas. And in my aunt's families, they're laying on each other. They're hugging each other. They're, you know, being all lovey-dovey. But in the fan, the pictures with my family, we were about six inches apart. Everyone's arms were crossed and no one was touching. That, I think, was the first time I realized there was a real legitimate problem with my family. And I don't know how I got off on that track talking, I guess, because I didn't want to really have to talk about the death of my grandmother. But my mother came in and she said Terry had, or Dina had died. And I knew because I had just had a dream, if you could call it a dream, or was it not a dream? Did I actually travel there? Did she beckon me to her? 
in her final moments. I remember being in the bedroom that she was in, and we were talking. I had been out and bought a dress that day for a school dance, and there was a sandstorm, which was very unusual in DFW. But back on the farm, it wasn't unusual at all. They were all the time. And I remember telling her we talked for a bit. She told me how much she loved me. I was telling her, you know, she asked me about my day. I told her about the sandstorm. It was just like the sandstorms back in Big Spring. And it hurt. It would sting your legs when you would walk in. It would sting your face. It was horrible. And I don't know how I, how long I, I felt I was there. Seems like I was there long enough to have a pretty good conversation with her. And then at one point, she told me she loved me again. And she said, you need to go now because Sandy will be here in a minute. Sandy was my aunt and my grandmother was at that time staying with my aunt while she was sick. And the next thing I knew, my mother was tapping me on the shoulder, telling me that she had died. And my answer to her was, I, I know. I was telling this to my therapist and we, or he asked me a question. He said, Terry, how long did it take you to really come to terms with the death of your grandmother? You speak about her a lot. You, you let me know she was really your only trusted caregiver besides your, your other aunts. How long did it take you to process her death? And I sat back because that was a question I've thought of before. I know for about five or six years, I didn't think about it. It was actually seven years after she died. I went to the cemetery and I just fell apart in the cemetery on her grave. And I spent the entire day there. But I would, I told him something that I hadn't really thought of before. And that was that I pretended that she wasn't dead. Here I am almost 16 years old and, and I'm saying, to myself, you know, logically, I knew my grandmother was dead. I was at the funeral. I saw the whole thing. I was there. I knew it. But in my heart of hearts, I would tell myself she was going to another country to get treatment. She was going to get well and she was going to come back for me. She wasn't going to leave me in the situation that I was in. She was going to surprise us all. She was going to come back. Her hair was going to be back. It was raven black. She was gorgeous. And she was going to be healthy and whole and everything would be just like it was when she was there or at the times when I was with her. And I, he said, really? You, you had this fantasy? And it was like, yeah, it was really, you know, I thought about it a lot. I thought about it. It seems like almost every day you know, is she going to come back today? Is she going to be here today? I wonder what country she's in today. I wonder what treatment she's trying today. So I was really trying to convince myself, I guess, that my grandmother had not died. And then he asked me if I had ever had any other um, similar situation and I thought for a second, and I looked at him virtually and said, yeah, when I was a little girl, 
I had a pretend family. And I knew they were a pretend family. It wasn't like I was telling myself my grandmother was coming home. But I kind of created my own family where I was safe. I had even a nanny and her main job was to make sure that no one hurt me. My mom and dad in that fantasy world had hired her basically for my protection. And you know, when I look back at it now, I almost wonder if it was my grandmother that I had in that role. But I did. I had this pretend fantasy family. where It was perfect. I would do things with my mom. We would go places. We would have fun. She would cook, which she didn't cook. And she was teaching me these things. And my dad was always really my real dad, but he was home. He was always home. He wasn't flying. He wasn't with other clients. He was home like the rest of the dads were. But I had a different mom and I had this nanny. And so we sort of talked through that. And that brought up this huge rush of emotion in just how abandoned I felt as a child You know, my parents made sure I had everything I needed. And I know when I was little and my dad was going to school and he was doing these things, my mother stayed home with us. I know that my grandmother did pay for a lot of things. She paid for my dance lessons. She paid for my Christmas presents. She bought me clothes. She paid for a lot of things. And as my dad's career took off, they they did make sure that we had the necessities that we needed, but nothing else. At least my mom. My dad was gone. Mom came home. She'd go to bed. She would close the door. She would lock us out. But in my pretend family, that didn't happen. And, you know, at the time that my mother went back to work, I was probably 12 years old, maybe 13 years old. Heck, I could have been older than that. But I still had this pretend family where I was protected. And I would retreat into that family. I wouldn't be hurt. I wouldn't be trying to get my mother's attention that I was really there. We wouldn't get into fist fights. I mean, my mother and I I had some very physical altercations when I was young. And I really don't know why. I know... A lot of them, I had said something about wanting to be with my aunt or wanting to be with my grandmother or when I was going to see them. And I think that set her off. I think it provoked her. And now looking back on it, you know, at 60 years old and seeing the trauma that my mother had gone through, not having her mother there and then her daughter is crying out for her sister and her mother and not her. I think that really put more of a divide in there. And I take blame for that. And I really shouldn't because I was young and those were the only people that had protected me. And if I cried out for them and was beaten like I was, or I wouldn't be spoken to, or I would have to stay in my room for however many weeks it was. 
you know, the only safe place to be was in a fantasy world. And I think that I kept that fantasy world up for quite some time. You know, I know until my, into my adulthood, on the outside, I could be somebody completely different. I was, I appeared confident and self-assured, but I wasn't. I was scared. I was scared I was going to lose something. I was afraid that I was going to die in a car accident. I was afraid. I had all of these fears um, within me. But I was putting on this brave face, this different face, so no one could see how horrible I was, that my mother didn't love me the way she loved my brothers. And that I wasn't so horrible that my dad chose a profession that would take him away from me all the time. And I know that's not what happened. I know that's not why my dad decided to become a pilot. He loved flying. But flying was really the other woman in his life or was the woman in his life flying, took him away from my mother, took him away from us. And my dad and I had always been very close. As close as we could be, I guess. It's really weird. I just said that. And then I realized, but wait a minute, Terry, your dad never hugged you. Your dad never told you he loved you. But he showed me in ways. He bought me toys. He made toys for us. He did things that he would interact with us. My mother would never, never do that. So that's the way I knew my dad loved me. And what's really weird is I don't ever really remember being hit by, by my dad. I do by my mother. And I know my brothers were hit by my father because I witnessed it. And it scared me to death to think that that could come toward me. And I always tried to be really good when my dad was home because I didn't want what I saw my brothers get. But at the same time, my gosh, being so lost and not realizing a lot of this until I was about 58 years old is when I felt safe enough to start letting this come out. That says a lot. That says how much damage and how much fear was there. And to think of everything that I've lost because I imploded. In 2008, when my dad died, or he died in 2007, my mother in 2006, 2008, I fell apart. And I think I've told you that's because I thought it was safe to do so then. And I really went to rock bottom. I had to rebuild every part of myself. And I don't think it was until the last two years you know, 2020, 2019, 2020, that I really made a lot of connections and realized I wasn't the bad kid. My aunts were telling me I was a delightful child. My grandmother loved me. My dad started talking to me a whole lot more after he died about how important it was to let your kids know they, you love them. And he, you know, he saw, he was still very uncomfortable with 
with anything like that. He was basically left in a playpen um, all day long while his mother worked and the neighbor would come up and feed and change him. So my dad had, my parents had traumas of their own to deal with. And last Friday talking to my, I think Texas just came out of my mouth when I said Friday, talking to my therapist, it it's made for a really long, really hard weekend. I've slept most of it. I went to a couple of, um, I went to see friends perform. They're jazz musicians. I went to, you know, some, a couple of things this weekend and it helped, but it, it, it really, um, it distracted me and it reminds me how I would distract myself before I knew what was going on. Before I knew I had CPTSD, before I knew that there was really an emotional problem that I needed to work on and I would escape. And I feel that's what's happening right now. And I, I really did a lot of research this week and I was okay. I was okay during the, doing the research. I was okay putting everything together, but Friday with therapy, it put everything in a new light, a new picture for me. It brought the past alive. It brought it back full force. And I'm, I mean, I'm struggling right now. Vander, um, where is that? Let me find it here. Bessel Vander Kolk. Many of you, if you if, if you read a lot on PTSD, trauma, neglect, abuse, such things, such of that, you'll you'll know that name, Bessel van der Kolk. He said, "People talk about trauma as an event that happened a long time ago, but what trauma is, is the imprints that event has left on your mind and in your sensations." The discomfort you feel and the agitation you feel and the rage and the helplessness you feel right now. That's where I am right now. I'm not in the in in the in the present, I'm fine. Not really. <laughs> I'm not talking about, you know, present day day, day problems. It really resurrected um flashbacks for me of when I was a child and some of the things that had went on had gone on and so I'm having a difficult time so I'm going to ask you to forgive me but I am going to cut this short because I need to focus on me right now for the next couple of days at least and hopefully have a full-length podcast episode up next Tuesday but I need to be aware as you do, of what your triggers are, what you need to do to bring them down. And sometimes when we push through, we push through so far that we fall face first because there's something emotionally we need to deal with at that time, at that moment. And I know for me, it comes when I start sleeping as much as I've been sleeping. 
So I need to do some soul searching. I need to figure this out. I need to sort out this fantasy family and the fantasy that my grandmother had never died. You know, those are things that I held and I think I put them in a box and put them away, but they're really quite disturbing right now. And I don't think it's, I really don't feel it's like in anyone's best interest for me to go on and do more of an episode on trauma, on PTSD, on CPTSD at the moment, because right now I feel like a broken jar. And I know that it has been put together. But what Bessel van der Kolk said about the imprint, it's still there. I need to take that seriously because I need you guys to take it seriously. And I need to be in this position. If I'm going to be doing a podcast on mental health, overcoming a CPTSD and trauma, and I find myself in a position where I need help, I need to be able to be real with you and say, hey, I'm sorry, this has to be a short kind of on the fly episode because I need to recognize what my inner child is crying out for. And that's weird, trying to reparent your inner child. The first time I did that, it was like way weird. And I was in the, I was in a flashback and I realized I was in a flashback and I realized what I was feeling at that time no, was nowhere near what the moment called for. I realized I was feeling what I was feeling when I was a little kid and the same thing had happened to me. And so what I did was I'm talking to myself. I'm talking to like little Terry there saying, it's okay. You're safe with me. I'm going to take care of you. I'm not, not going to let anything happen to you. You are safe. I mean, she was just three, four, five, six years old. I'm 60. I think I can take care and protect a little child, especially if that little child dwells within me. So I need to heed that calling and I need to do that. I hope you'll forgive me for that. Hopefully next week we'll be back with a revelatory episode of Grand Proportions and that everyone will be able to learn something. But look at me and look at yourself. If you're feeling your triggers, you're walking through your triggers and you know what your triggers are, listen to them and take care of yourself. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to say bye for now and I will see you next week. Thank you for listening to Digging Through Dominoes. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, connect with Terry on Facebook and Instagram at Digging Through Dominoes, on Twitter at Digging Dominoes, and online at DiggingThroughDominoes.com. Until next time, thank you for listening.